0: Podcasting simpletons. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. (laughs) That is me. (laughs) Hey, welcome on, Matt. Always glad to have
1: you on. Yeah, I'm uh, lucky to be here, (laughs) at least for three quarters of this show.
0: (laughs) That is correct. We'll get into that in just a moment, but just pointing out real quick, we are on week three of the spring season, uh, covering all sports anime that have aired between April 16th to April uh, 22nd. Sort of. We've also got big wind-up in Encouragement of Climb in there. Right. Uh, but, uh, real quick, one real announcement. Uh, Matt here will actually not be present for the Tiger Mass discussion. That's right. Uh, because if I understand correctly, you have some, uh, you have some personal business you need to attend to.
1: Yeah, so the thing of it is, is I am getting married, uh, this coming weekend, um, back in Indiana. Uh, you're gonna be there. But unfortunately, I figure around the end of the week, I'm going to have some other priorities. (laughs) Uh, So I'm not going to catch Tiger Mask, and I thought we'd just get this recorded now, right after Yamushi Petal aired. Um, Right. And so we can just record ahead, and then once Tiger Mask does air, you can just... uh, try and you know do it do it on your own
0: yeah i'll go solo for that one and then uh same deal since you will be on your honeymoon for the following week you will only uh since we can watch big wind up and uh encouragement of climb ahead of time we're gonna we're gonna do those together but then i'll be doing yawamushi pedal and tiger mask solo that week as well right okay cool so anyway if you don't mind i just want to jump right into the swing of things and start off with yawamushi pedal do it cool all right. So this week we cover the final day of the uh, of the training camp, and uh, what happens is uh, Koga generously gives up his pursuit to become the captain of the team. He kind of lets everybody off the hook and says he just you know he's happy to be their spare, uh, and that he will support them on the track, but or like when they're during the inner hide, much like how Teshima did the prior season. Uh, but he will still be completing the thousand kilometers himself because he's never actually managed to do that before. Uh, next day we have Naruko and Maizumi. They are finally finishing up their, uh, their thousand kilometers. They have a big race at the end. Naruko actually manages to beat Iwa- Maizumi, uh, which came as a surprise to everybody. Also, who just so happens to be there because the manager of the racetrack is terrible, <laughs> uh, Mito Suji and his, uh, his partner, Komori, happen to be there. It's scouting out the team. Uh, Anoda and Komori have a bit of an interaction where uh, Komori's trying to find out where Amazumi is because he's the one he really wants to get to know because he's the biggest threat to their team. Uh, Anoda assumes that he is a first year, is about to help him out before Koga comes in and interrupts them. And then the episode ends with a cut to uh, Makashima in Europe, wondering about the Inner High, and just sort of leaving it about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Matt, uh, before we started this episode, we both knew we had strong opinions on this episode. Um, so I'm gonna let you go first.
1: Well, a lot of a lot of our Issues coming into this week was about the method by which Sahoku was going to construct its roster. Right. So, sort of what we alluded to last week was that this the the storyline with Koga. We might look back at it fondly if they end up making it compelling, uh, but we might look back at it with a little more sour judgment if they sort of just ignore all the issues present and write off Koga completely. Right. Which is basically what they did.
0: Yeah, essentially. Um, yeah, so he's basically playing the support role that Teshima did before, which, you know, I guess, fine, except it doesn't make any sense for him to not be on the team when Kaburagi is there.
1: Yeah, that that's what really gets me, is that... At the point at which he loses that little race to Teshima, I believe the two of them are in the lead in terms of right. in terms of the team. You know, they they're at the, the highest pace, they've they've done more laps than anyone else on the team. It, and yet he is the first one to to give up the right to even compete to be on the team. And he just tells everyone, Hey, uh if you guys get hurt, I'll step in for you. And then he's like, and internally he's like, I'm just kidding. Don't get hurt. Like, I believe in you and I want to support you and all this stuff. And you're sort of like, where where did this come from? How did you have so much competitive drive to be the person who can finally get back on the team and then have it all evaporate? Right, just because just... even if you recognize maybe you shouldn't be the captain, to say that you, there's no reason for you to be on the team when you are doing better performance-wise than everyone else on the team?
0: Right, exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Not only the fact that they dropped this little bomb on us, uh, the fact that Kaburagi is actually a sprinter, um, and considering the fact that apparently most of their team, like, that most of the inner high is going to be hilly... Mm-hmm. it doesn't make much sense for them to prioritize a sprinter in this case, when you've got an all-rounder or an endurance rider like uh, like Koga.
1: Well, yeah, and here, here's, the, here's the issue with that, too, is that Kaburagi doesn't know he's a sprinter. You know, whatever that right. means, however you know you're a sprinter. Um, but everyone else seems to have intuited that he's a sprinter and they're waiting for him to discover the true power of sprinting and they're all just talking about him being a sprinter behind his back while he has no idea what his training regimen should be and they're like it's all right he'll figure it out at the inter high (laughs) they're like but why though why does he need to be in the inter high when he doesn't even know what his role is right and why if you know like like you said one of the the issues we had was that there's never been a discussion about how to construct a roster to be competitive in this specific interhigh on this specific course they've alluded to the the fact that the course has a lot more has a, a like a much more significant climb than the year before but they haven't said and the way we're going to address that is by having three climbers instead of two, that would be a, a way. Or by having more of an all around team and not relying on sprinters. That would be something. Like I don't have to what? believe it as a realistic strategy, I just have to know that they the show has put in some effort to address the problem. But what did they do? They just constructed an identical roster with two climbers, two all arounders, and two sprinters just like last year, even though it's a totally different
0: course. Right, and that's what doesn't make any sense. Is that there's this series doesn't seem to understand its own like internal mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they don't seem to understand that it might be a problem if they go into this without by essentially just deciding who's going to be on their ro- roster just based off of like. Completely in other, like, on-the-spot races.
1: Yeah, which are totally irrelevant to the kind of race that they'll actually have in the Inner High. Because, right. like, um, a lot of the training camp is... It's not on... It's not completely flat, but it's... The, the elevations aren't that huge, you know? It's not that steep a climb, at least not compared to the kind of climb they'll be doing on the Inner High. So to right. decide who's best suited for the Inner High... Strictly and exclusively on the results of a course that is very dissimilar to the Inter High. Like, I, I don't mind if that ends up being the deciding factor. But for them to not address the fact that that they're only taking one factor into consideration? You know, it, you, you might say like, hey, we've done all this research. We, we're thinking about either putting Koga or Kaburagi on the roster. Uh, we've looked at all these things, you know, if they'd said literally anything about why it should be Kabaragi instead of Koga, like, oh, well, we think Koga is too much of an injury risk, and he might hurt himself on the course, and we'd be down to five. Literally, if they'd had that one line, I would have been like, fine.
0: Right, but they don't, they never make that Mm acknowledgement. They never want to go that extra mile, and then something Or a kilometer. (laughs) That's a good point. Um, and something else I want to point out as well, Koga's a third year, um, and Kabaragi's a first year. So I, I don't know. I, it seems weird to me that they would prioritize this first year over a third, like over a third year where this would be their last chance. You know, last year they kind of addressed that, you know, they decided to go with the, uh, with the promising first years over, uh, Teshima and Aoyagi because, you know, they had the better chance of winning. Fine, whatever. Kaburagi has never really been established as being anybody who could do that for
1: them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they haven't justified it at all. And even when we had this weird scene with Midosuji and Komori um, spying on them, Midosuji sort of, he looked over their team and he's like, Hey, Tashima sucks. Ayagi sucks. He's like, Koga, that guy's pretty good. But for some reason he's not on the team. That's weird, you know? So, so somehow everyone except Sohoku knows that Koga should be on the team.
0: Yeah, but this is what's frustrating about that is that later on in the episode, uh, I actually do kind of like this interaction a little bit, but this this part is a little bit frustrating is where there's this whole instance where uh, Onoda, when he's talking to Komori, and, you know, he has this sort of air of Lack of competition, essentially. He doesn't have that competitive edge because you know he doesn't. Because uh, Kamori is asking him, "Hey, do you want? Who do you think is the better racer between the two of them, Narco and Amazumi?" And Anota says, "Well, it doesn't matter."
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Well, he was like, talking about Madousagi and Amazumi. But, oh my bad. But yeah, he was like, "Hey, they're both good people, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who wins." Um, and yeah, so Kamori's like, "Oh wow, you you know nothing about racing." But then Anota trips. And Komori grabs him, and he feels his muscles, and right. they are unlike any muscle he'd ever felt before. You know, they're the the elite muscles, and it's like,
0: okay. Okay, fine. But I guess what I have an issue with that is that I, I like the idea that Onoda is is like this, you know, he has this kind of philosophy about, you know, how winning doesn't matter and how that's not really the point of what they're trying to do here fine, but at the same time, it, that doesn't really feel like what the rest of the... Like, the, the rest of the team, I don't think, is on the same page as you.
1: Well, yeah, uh, because no one talks that way.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, no... Because they're trying to go with what they feel, you know, they have the best chance for. And I guess that that line to me, I guess, felt like it was trying to justify oh. the presence of Kobaragi on the team. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter who's better or worse, because, you know, we want to ride as a team. And it's like, well, fine. I, but it's but like, why this Kamaragi? team? You know, Yeah, but why this team?
1: Yeah, like, like, Kabaragi's only on the team because he was randomly assembled from a hasty promise in the stupid first year race that should have no consequences. Yeah. But we're exactly. going to say, oh no, this makes us a team. We have to ride together because we're a team. And you're like, okay, so, but why are you a team? He's like because we're a team, so we <laughs> are a team. And you're yeah, like, that's, exactly. that's not, it's not an answer to the question. Um, <laughs> that is, it, it's very frustrating. Um, yeah. Because here, here's the thing too, they're the reigning champions of Japan. So if they had made, they could have made some argument. They're like, okay, we need to include some first years because we can't just be successful and then not build our team for the future. So we want to include people who can be leaders next year. Right. Which, you know, if they'd at least said something, fine. But I really don't believe that a team that is trying to defend a national championship would not choose the six best racers they have.
0: Yeah. Uh, pretty much. And here's um...
1: here's one, one follow-on. It was very unclear to me, and I'm not sure if you figured at the end of the episode they have this little scene where koga finally he finishes his thousand kilometers and he's very happy he's like oh it took me three years i'm so glad i could do this and everyone congratulates him but it appears by the but it's not said explicitly that he finished his thousand kilometers after the the top like the six members of the
0: team Right.
1: But we've um, had... There was no indication of, like, why they passed him at some point in this process or why Kaburagi was ever as good. The only scene they had with Kaburagi was Koga and Onoda passing him or ca- <laughs> catching up to him. Catching
0: up to him, which then caused him to sprint forward. Yeah,
1: exactly. And realizing that he wasn't handling the course very successfully on his own. And you're like, okay, so what argument do we have for him being better than Koga? Did Koga, right. did Koga just slow down so he could help other people? Because I think that's what they're trying to say.
0: Right, and that's just... That's not really that compelling, especially because we have an entire team composed of hyper-competitive uh, writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, that's the whole thing with Amaizumi and Noriko as well, is, you know, they're both incredibly competitive with one another but now we're also trying to have this explanation that it's like oh no 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 you know they're, they're competitive with one another but you know they they ride for the team in total and i kind of feel like this is a team that's not they can't really seem to decide on what it wants to be mm-hmm. or what the uh, series wants them to be
1: yeah and H- koga in particular like i what is his character Someone who's right. deeply competitive, who's been holding it all this time, and now wants to show off and prove he's the best until he just doesn't. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so um, it was it was a disappointing episode. Uh,
0: one more point I want to bring up, just real quick as well. I I feel like Anoda doesn't feel like the main character anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know and, who
1: is, but
0: yeah, kind of. Well, because there was this whole there was that whole interaction. With uh, Komori and Onoda. And, you know, there was part of me that actually rather liked it. I got a pretty legitimate laugh out of Onoda, like, confusing Komori for a first year that he, you know...
1: He didn't recognize, yeah.
0: Yeah, he didn't recognize. And I was, in that moment, though, I was thinking, it's like, you know what the series should have been about? This should have been about Onoda trying to fit into his role, like, going from being, you know, the, you know, the inexperienced first year, you know, this is should be more about him coming into his own... Uh, as a second year, and kind of trying to find the balance between, you know, still being a competitor, but also maintaining a leadership position.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's just treated it, as a one-off joke sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's just treated as a one-off joke, and it's just like, you know, I thought it was a funny joke, don't get me wrong, but Anota's not really the focus anymore, and I, that's fine, but they haven't really been able to find where the focus should be anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the cast got too big, and they wanted to, like, satisfy the fans of all of them, so they're just coloring right. everyone a little bit.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Well, um, if you would like, we can move on to something a little less depressing, uh, with big wind-up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even call Yopeta know, de- depressing, because at the end of the day, we do dig into it a lot. Like, I can't say it's not a good time, you know? It's it's not like we're, we're talking about Manami Kamakura here.
0: Right, I guess that's fair. At the very least, we do enjoy talking about it. <laughs>
1: right. Um... Yeah, so big wind up episode three. Uh, the Nishiura is wrapping up their training camp, and Mihashi has put some extra speed on his fastball by learning some new tweaks to his form. Um, and the final day of the camp, they're doing a practice game against Mihashi's old school Mihoshi. <laughs> which i just have to say that very carefully um, right to make it slightly less confusing um basically the most most of this episode is set up for that game Um uh, mihashi is effectively having panic attacks and unable mm-hmm. to sleep because he's so worried about seeing his old teammates because he still harbors a lot of guilt about being an ineffective pitcher and making it so they could never win games and he blames himself and mostly he's just afraid to see those guys again because he thinks they hate him and they kind of do, uh, when, which is revealed when they, they do finally meet up with the team and Mihashi's old catcher corners him behind a building and threatens to break his arm and says he wished he'd broken his arm sooner so they would've had a chance to win. Um, Abe happens to walk in on the scene, and essentially forces the the other catcher to leave, and has a a sit down discussion. M- Mahashi's sort of uh, shaken up, and he's like, "Dude, did he just threaten to break your arm? You know that's not okay, right?" <laughs> uh, and he has he has to sort of coax Mahashi into calming down, and he does so by you know grabbing his hand and telling him he's a good pitcher you're a good pitcher. It's okay. You're a good pitcher. Don't listen to him. Um, and eventually he gets, gets Mahashi to warm up to him and sort of acknowledge that, you know, they do like each other and it's it, it, they, they want to be part of a team together. And Abe realizes really for the first team, like, oh, Mahashi isn't uh, a crybaby just because that's how he is. He's that way because he was bullied for the last three years by all his teammates who hated him um and so he he sort of gained some empathy for him uh they kick off the the game and the starting pitcher for mihoshi is a guy named kano uh who is the the other pitcher on the old team that never started because of mihoshi and he's a forkball pitcher and he ends up um Getting a 1 2 3 inning uh, against Nishiura to start the game. And they, uh, Abe starts, tries to figure out exactly how they're going to beat him from there. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, a fun episode, but I think I'll kick it over to you, Matt, since I've been talking. Uh, what, what stood <laughs> out to you?
0: Uh, I think mainly what stood out to me is that, uh, Abe continues to stick out to me as being, like, even though Mihashi's kind of the main character, Abe, to me, is kind of the most compelling character, uh, just because of, he, like, when the series kind of started off, it felt like Abe was genuinely, genuinely just trying to, like, use Mihashi, just kind of, like, he did kind of feel like Mihashi was just this, you know, guy he could take advantage of, uh, you know, because you know he had a great control, but you know he kind of thought the solution would just be to kind of just make him listen to anything he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I appreciate the development in this episode, where you know he's kind of realizing this guy isn't actually like he really just lacks confidence, uh, and he can kind of spread that sort of knowledge to the rest of the team. It, this episode sort of showed him become a bit more of a leader role because of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, where because he he was able to understand that Mihashi's problem came from the fact that it, it it's more of like an emotional scarring than really any sort of like personal issue. And he was able to kind of see the difference there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, it's like this guy actually works really hard. like the fact that his fa- that his grandfather was the uh, was the school's principal. Uh, really is kind of inconsequential to the fact that he was still on the mound. Like, this guy clearly knows what he's doing, but the fact that nobody around him was supporting him, uh, like, that was really the issue.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I liked his speech, as it were, with the rest of the team. And I liked, right. I liked that it came from him, where he sort of grabbed the team while Mahashi was warming up elsewhere and said all right mihashi is kind of a crybaby but the reason is because those guys on the other side of the diamond were jerks to him for three years and he had no confidence in himself because they were such bullies um so if we want to have mihashi perform the way he can perform we need to support him and they a lot of the teammates are like well he, sure I guess <laughs> They're like, well we don't really know any of you very well we didn't really understand what was going on but uh, I guess we might as well be nice to Mahashi and support him you <laughs> know. and so it just gives one I like the fact that It doesn't pretend like these guys who only met a few weeks ago are super tight and that they know everything about each other and that they're desperate to be the best, you know, to be a a team that supports one another. They're just sort of 16-year-olds who (laughs) are forced to acknowledge, oh, maybe we can help this guy out and make him better in the process. I guess we might as
0: well, you know? Right. Right, because they don't really have any motivation to, like... Abe does because, you know, he can, he's the one who's become most deeply involved with Mihashi.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, the, but he also understands that he can't, like, that's what's interesting to me is the fact that he understands that about the rest of the team is that they're coming from a place where they don't really know or understand anything about Mihashi. He's the one who has to be the one who spreads that around. And that's kind of made him the sort of natural assumed leader of the group.
1: Right. And I like the scene how Momoe is there, but she doesn't say anything. She's just sort of observing, like, you know, (laughs) as if to say, I knew I could trick Abe into being
0: the captain. (laughs) Momoe continues to be one of the better coaches. Yeah. Uh, that we've seen in the in, in our in, since our beginning of Koshian cast. I
1: wanted to uh, take a second to explain a couple of the technical terms that were used in this episode.
0: Oh by all means
1: um just because I figure I might as well um, make it a little more understandable exactly what they're referring to when they use certain phrases. So the two terms uh, I want to identify here are forkball and drag bunt. So okay. uh, forkball especially is going to come up a lot because Kano, the pitcher for Mihoshi, is described as a forkball pitcher. Uh, so right. what does that mean? So like, like we talked about last time, the basic pitch in baseball is a fastball in which it's basically a ball that doesn't have any break or movement on it. You don't take off any speed. You just throw it as fast as you can in a generally straight line, and you try to beat someone by locating it, you know, aiming it somewhere that they don't expect, um, or just throwing it so fast that they can't catch up with it. Um, right. So Kano has a fastball, and he uses that for most of his pitches. Um but, he, but every pitcher needs what, what they call a secondary pitch, which is something other than a fastball that you use so that when people are expecting your fastball or looking, you know, they're, they figured out the timing on your fastball, you can throw something else to throw off their balance and make them swing at something they wouldn't otherwise. Uh, so the forkball is actually a modified fastball in which you take your pointer finger and your middle finger and you jam the the baseball as far deep between those two fingers as you can, right? And then you hold the rest of uh, your fingers like you would a normal fastball, and you release it like uh, a normal at w- with your arm moving at fastball speed. Right. Uh, but what it does is you end up flicking your wrist and releasing it between your two fingers. Um, that's why they call it a fork because you have your two fingers sticking out like prongs and so instead of going in a straight line it um it breaks on the way in and it'll dip from top to bottom in effectively a a straight line so it will look like it's coming in like a normal fastball and then it will drop all of a sudden uh as it approaches the plate so what you saw in the at-bat with Abe at the end was that uh Kano had thrown three straight fastballs and uh, Abe was just trying to figure out the timing and then on the fourth pitch he threw a forkball so Abe saw the pitch coming he knew where it was going to be if it was a fastball and he swung but at the last second the ball dropped beneath his bat and so it just sort of hit the ground and Abe still swung because it looked like it was a fastball when it was released but then it dropped late. Right. Um, So that's sort of his trick pitch, is that he sets you up, he gets you, so you're expecting to hit a straight-line fastball, and then he throws a forkball that, like, falls in the ground, and you still swing anyway.
0: Right. Um, Something I liked about that, actually, is that uh, even if you're not familiar with the forkball—I mean, I know I really wasn't— what they do in this episode— is that there's this moment where they're watching uh, the Mahoshi team pitch, well specifically Kano, and they're watching him, and they actually show the fork ball uh, in motion because he's doing doing it while mm-hmm. practicing, and you actually get to see it from a first person's perspective, so you get to see the ball drop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that pretty that communicates pretty well, like what the ball is. Not only that, it communicates a lot about the character of Kano. Because they kind of mentioned, it's like, he's using his forkball during a, pit, like, during just, like, the practice, like, during a warm-up. And what it's showing there is that he's kind of, he's he's cocky. Yeah. He doesn't care that they know what his specialty pitch is, because he's that confident in it. And I just, I really like the way that they used, first of all, how they kind of can, how they use that kind of as a setup to explain what a forkball is visually, uh, and how it's different from just a normal fastball and then how they how it goes that step further and like uses it to uh, as an opportunity to talk about the character.
1: Yeah. Well, that was good. Uh, the the other last thing I learned about the forkball I was reading a little bit and um, I realized that it's ac- it's primarily used by Japanese pitchers. So oh. in the United States um, pitchers who like to have this kind of effect use a modified version of the forkball called a split finger fastball, um, which has a similar, but it's, it's not quite as dramatic of a drop. Um, and these they it for several reasons. Uh, but in Japan, it's still a really popular pitch. Um, the other thing I learned is that because, um, you flick your, you know, when you, you deliver it, you flick your wrist really hard when you release and that can actually cause damage to the elbow and shoulder. And it's not recommended that people high school age and younger practice the pitch because it can damage them long term. Oh, so, uh, Kano is actually sort of advocating the use of a pitch that has been proven to be harmful for high school pitchers to use. Oh, um, okay. Which is, you know, like who knows if that's intentional because. Uh, it's so common in Japan. It might just be something that's done, even though it shouldn't be done. You know, right? Sort of the way that like we know high schoolers probably shouldn't play football, but we let them <laughs> do it anyway. You know, right. we know it's not the best thing for them, but anyway, yeah.
0: Right, but no, that that's interesting. It it, it could kind of add that extra layer to his character. Unfortunately, we're not col- unfortunately we don't know the culture well enough to know if that's something that's commonly known amongst casual fans of baseball or not right uh in japan at the very um,
1: least. if i can take one second and i'll just do this quick but the uh the other term i want to describe is drag bunt um right so sakaguchi was the first batter and he said he wanted to lay down a drag bunt and so so uh, a bunt basically is just when you take your bat and you hold it instead of swinging it you just hold it over the plate and try and uh line it up so that the the ball hits it and then just drops on the ground Uh, Uh right and a drag bunt basically just means you try to point it so that instead of the ball going in front of you it sort of goes beside you so if you're standing on the left side of the plate then you try and angle the bat uh so that it goes to the left side basically further away from first base um, okay. So the, the, the idea just is because Sakaguchi stands on the left side of the plate. He wants to make the ball roll as far away from first base as possible so that he can have a chance to get there. And the reason he did that was because there's no reason to bunt when no one's on base. Because ideally you use a bunt in order to, to let someone who's already on base move up. Um, so no one would be expecting it. So he was just trying to trick them and do something totally unexpected and get on base, um, just on the surprise factor.
0: Right. Well, because I mean, that would have to very, because they were already an out down, so.
1: Well, no, that was the uh, first batter.
0: Oh, that was the first batter? Oh, okay. My bad. Uh, for some reason, I thought that was the second one who actually got the, uh, that got the drag bunt in. No. Okay. Well, fair enough. Any, um, anyway, but yeah I'm
1: sorry if that like random digression went on too long
0: but <laughs> no no you're fine you're fine no it's good to, it's good to know uh we are g- probably gonna need those for going on out because I know this series gets very technical with its uh with its uh baseball terminology and doesn't really if I recall the series doesn't do a lot to describe it
1: no it just or, sort of it, it assumes a lot
0: right it assumes a lot of the viewer to uh to to kind of understand it, because it's like, yeah, what we were talking about here, outside of what the uh, outside of conveying what the forkball did or how it was supposed to kind of generally go, uh, yeah, you generally, it doesn't really explain a lot of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. So uh, anyway, if you don't mind, uh, we can always move on to encouragement of climb.
1: We can always do that.
0: <laughs> cool beans. All right, so this set of episodes. First of all, uh, the first one, episode 6, or episode 7, my bad, yep. involves uh, Aoi and Hinata going to uh, going to another shop because uh, Aoi needs a bag to kind of pack her stuff in. They learn about a couple different bags. At the end of the episode, Hinata agree like, Aoi wants to buy a specific bag, but she doesn't have enough money, so Hinata chips in for her. Uh, the next episode is about their trip to Mount Takao. Uh, it's about their climb up, which is really just sort of a uh, just sort of a gentle stride, really. Because I mean, there's an entire path and everything that they can go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, Hinata gets uh, Aoi some dongo, and Aoi enjoys the uh, wants to repay the favor, so she gets her a surprise gift, but she doesn't uh, she doesn't have the courage to give it to her right then and there. So she tells her that she got a gift for her mother, and then the final episode that we covered here uh, is about. Uh, when they get to the top and then they're climb back down, uh, Aoi oh, gives Hinata the present, Hinata likes it, and then on their way back down they run into a very spacey girl by the name of, uh, Kakona, who's a second year middle schooler, uh, middle school student, and she's there because she loves animals, but she doesn't realize, and in particular she wanted to see the dwarf flying squirrel that is common with the school, or common for the mountain, but she doesn't realize that it's actually a giant, uh, Flying squirrel that's common there, and she gets very frustrated. Episode kind of ends there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. So again, uh, pretty pleasant couple episodes. Uh, something I liked about this was that we got a pretty decent progression of Aoi. Uh, like there was this kind of nice realization in the seventh episode where she, uh, you know, she realizes that the advice that Hinata gave to her was actually something was actually. So- some advice that she had given Kaede earlier, uh, but she herself was not acting upon it. So it's, it was kind of one of those nice little, like, you know, I actually know all of this stuff internally, but I need somebody to kind of push me along so that I'll actually follow through on it.
1: Hey, Matt. Yeah? Can we pause first? Some... Well, I and mean, we won't pause, but... um, What's up? Yeah, we'll just need a edit this out i just stephanie just got home and i'm gonna say hi real quick. oh okay i'll be right back Sorry about that, Matt. Oh no, you're fine. You're gonna have to remind me of uh, where I what I should be responding to. Oh,
0: uh, I just mentioned uh, that I liked about always oh, progression of uh, her character about kind of realizing that she needed to uh, she needed to kind of follow her own advice and kind of needed Hinata to do that for her to kind of help her out with that.
1: Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll just give me a second. Yeah, no problem. You know, I, I agree with you, it was not exactly subtle, the fact that Hinata directly quoted Ooi from a couple episodes ago, <laughs> where... Yeah, just sort of
0: uh, coincidentally... Right. Like,
1: oh, entirely. we're in the exact same situation you just had with Kaede. Um, but right. I, I also wanted to, to point out the recurrence, uh, not from this show, but from other uh, girl sports shows we've seen, of... Aoi walking through the store and then seeing a day pack that is glowing. <laughs> got, like, shining golden day pack that is her destined day pack. Um, right.
0: Like, this is the item. Like, this is going to be her signature item that she has with her.
1: Yeah. It's like a yellow backpack. Um, yeah. It's,
0: <laughs> it's not really that cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. but I, it's also 50% off. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's like so. It ends up being like a fifty dollar backpack that is just this this golden, magnificent object that she seems to associate with penguins. But then that imagery drops. I was hoping she would like
0: nickname it after penguin, but it didn't. It
1: didn't even get a name. Um. So hope, like didn't
0: even get yeah. the, like name like a uh, pingu or something like that. Yeah.
1: So we'll see. Oh. We'll see if this gets the same amount of um love and then (laughs) soon to be disregarded yeah like in um manami kamakura with unico didn't get disregarded but didn't get talked about that much or um in long riders
0: um... (laughs) Pontacoon. pontacoon thank you no problem uh, something else that was actually kind of surprisingly consistent with the other girls sports series we've seen is that they're kind of, uh, it, it did, the, the eighth episode felt a little bit like a tourism thing, because they showed you quick shots of things that you could do at no. Mount Takao. Like about the whole thing where the, you could rub the octopus, or they they had the flying squirrel statue, or just a quick shot of the the uh, seventy year the seven uh, hundred year old tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't, but the difference with that one was that it didn't feel quite so obtrusive mm-hmm. to the uh, to the actual characters because they they were really just kind of quick like five second shots. They're like, hey, then they did this thing, and then they did this thing.
1: Yeah, it feels um, like it, so in Manami Kamakura. What was frustrating is that they very explicitly we were trying to sell you stuff right and they were telling you the price of items and where to go to buy them <laughs> whereas in this one it's just like hey here's some well known landmarks on this mountain and you know if you were a high school girl who is climbing this mountain for the first time you'd probably take a picture with these and like do all the activities too right so it doesn't I mean, it doesn't I, feel I, I... unrealistic
0: I mean, as a late 20s-year-old man, I would probably do that too. Okay, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, it's... But I see what you're saying there. Like, it, it feels a lot more natural to the characters. And it's they're not, like, shoving it in your face. It's just like, okay, they just did these things here. Maybe you want to do them too? I don't know. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, but ultimately, it seems less about the specific objects and more about, hey, uh, Aoi was kind of intimidated by the idea of climbing this mountain, but it wasn't so bad. They had fun. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's low threat. You can do it to sports anime.
0: Right. But I I prefer, again, it's beneficial that this is a series that is only three minutes long because they don't have to stretch out the time to go through these long, lengthy explanations Uh in order to. To kind of fill in. Because I could very easily have seen all of these episodes as being entire episodes of some of the other ones that we've covered on the show. So, again, I appreciate that. I think the structure has clearly helped this series.
1: I agree. Uh, Yeah, it was fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, One final thing I wanted to bring up is that, again, I appreciate the series' brevity in dealing with uh, poking fun of Aoi. Uh, In the very last episode, as they're walking down the... uh, Like after uh, Hinata tells Oi the path they're going to take she has these really bad visions of being attacked by bears or like getting lost in the woods because they're going to be taking the more natural route and she has this vision of like all these terrible things happening and as they're walking down she's like I don't know if we should do this and then immediately you see like a path and then like old people walking up (laughs) it and it's just like okay again it's brief to the point works as just a quick visual gag Mm. you know what
1: you don't have to spend like three minutes worrying and agonizing and visualizing it just happens in 30 seconds and it's over
0: yeah or if even like if even 30 yeah yeah right
1: right more like 15 probably
0: yeah exactly so um matt i thank you for joining me for these past couple episodes if you don't mind i am gonna jump into tiger mask
1: okay have fun in the future
0: (laughs) i will try Okay, so this week I am covering episode 28 of Tiger Mask. So, uh, it pretty much immediately begins with the revelation that Naoto is, in fact, the one who is working with GWM. In fact, he actually just signed a contract saying that he's going to work with them from now on. Takaoka is not happy about this fact. In fact, he's pretty livid about it because he's kind of throwing away everything he believes in just so he can get into this stupid fight with Tiger III. Uh, we see him actually enter a match with, uh, NWJP... No, NJPW. Uh, in a four-on-four match that N- that they had to, uh, scramble to put together because all of their other wrestlers are traveling the world. Uh, anyway, during this match, the Miracles end up getting Hanma pinned, and they hand a chair to... Uh, Naoto informing him that he, he needs to start beating him with the chair. And for some reason, he dis- he agrees to this and goes right into their... Uh, falls pretty much right into their own habits and becoming... Basically, he's falling to the dark side. Uh, he also has a discussion with Takuma about how Takuma's trying to get him from falling in with uh, GWM... Naoto decides not to listen, but he also can't face Takuma because he feels guilty about the fact that he injured him. Uh, And then we kind of are going through a time skip where we find out Naoto is not talking with any of his old support groups. So not Haruna, not Ruri, uh, not Takaoka. Uh, He's pretty much handling everything on his own, and he's getting further and further involved with GWM. Uh, We find out that Takuma is trying to get through his physiology training... Uh, so he can get back into the ring and basically stop Naoto. Uh, and the episode ends with NW, or NJWP, uh, getting, uh, there's gonna be a five-on-five match to end because GWN has revealed that they have yet another Miracle who has joined their team, Miracle 4. So, I hate this episode, like, Immensely. Everything about this episode, it's just so frustrating, because this was not the character that Naoto was established to be. This is a kid show. It's a show meant for young children. You got a simple hero. You got simple villains. And... You already had the if you wanted to have a bit more of a complex situation with a character, you know, who kinda falls into the dark side who, you know, originally had good intentions, you had now you had Takuma already. There's no reason to force Naoto into this same role and have Takuma bring him out of it. That's what's so confusing about this. Is that you could have just you could have very easily had Takuma win the match against Tiger the Great and then have the story be about Nauto trying to bring down uh Tiger the Dark. Instead, what we're seeing is for some reason this devastating law- loss he had against Tiger the Dark uh it effectively meant nothing to him. Like I that's what I don't understand. It, he feels more guilty about the fact that he injured Tiger the Dark which prevented his own win against Tiger the Great the 3rd. Uh, rather than this be, like, rather than this be this whole, uh, rather than have it be this entire, like, ordeal for him. Like, this should be the moment where he's trying to pick himself back up and train. This is, uh, like, you know, you kind of have this sequence where he's kind of depressed for a while. They kind of established that over the past couple episodes. And in fact, he even realized that the reason why he was even able to get, you know, able to keep fighting after, like, nearly losing... Two, uh I don't remember the other tiger who has no other lines and basically doesn't matter. He's a martial arts fighter. But that guy from last episode. Uh, like, his whole motivation that kinda kept him going during that fight was the was the crowd, was how much people were cheering for him. You know, that should have been his big, like, revival moment for him. You know, it's like, no, this is why I fight. And then after that, he can have his whole like this should be all oh, this should be about his training. To overcome GWM once again, like, he realizes his killer move isn't working very well, you know, because that's what, that's how he lost against, uh, uh, Tiger the Dark, was because he managed, when he planted his knees into his chest, in that brief instant, uh, Tiger the Dark was able to grab him and, uh, get him uh, put into a suplex hold. Instead, he's just apparently harboring so much guilt for what happened to Tiger the Dark... And to Takuma, that now he's descending into GWM? Just, none of this is connected at all. It just feels like they're trying to figure out, like, what they're going for here is that they're going for a role reversal. They want Takuma to end up as being the real hero and having to bring uh, Tiger Mask down, you know, from stopping him from the same mistake he once had. But that's not interesting. it could be interesting if this was like a darker type of show. Uh, nothing really has come to mind that would be that would be comparable to that. Uh, but you know the type, You know, having this a bit more like moral ambiguity about this. But no, like Tiger. It, this is Tiger Mask. Tiger Mask is effectively like meant to be like a kid superhero. It's a, it's a Saturday morning cartoon. You got a very simple pl- premise. And just all of a sudden, this is like seeing, I don't know, like... I don't know, like, Superman start going around and killing people just because he gets angry? Okay, yeah, 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 they're getting your Batman versus Superman jokes, I get that. Uh, but... Like... This just conflicts so much with the rest of the... With the tone of the rest of the show. Like... Naoto himself wouldn't even confess to Ruri that he's Tiger Mask because he feels like he carries the hopes and dreams of everybody who, like, all of the downtrodden. Because, you know, he wears the mask. He feels like it's not his own persona. But yet now here he is, like... Like... Immediately backtracking on that for pretty much no reason whatsoever. He just, he's decided, no, I have to go fight Tiger the Great Third when he's already been proven that he can't stand up to him. And that's what's so frustrating about the sudden heel turn on him that he's had. Like, it just doesn't come from anywhere. Uh... Then I don't really think I like the fact that it took Takuma losing to sudden... Like, this was apparently the moment that he, uh, humbled him. Uh, despite the... I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. Because, you know, he... You know, he was starting to fall into that line... You know, into that... You know, he was starting to become like... Uh, like the original Yellow Devil. Who was... uh You know, he was being... Unnecessarily cruel... Uh, in the ring and you know that's kind of you know last the uh, season finisher uh showed him decidedly uh n- you know falling into that same line of thought and instead he's just getting like like uh, and I mean I guess I can see why that humbles him uh losing because of that but at the same time, like, he should be mentoring Tiger Mask at this point. He shouldn't be... He shouldn't have to be the one who brings him back. Like, this should be him trying to give him advice. Like, you know, this is everything I've seen inside GWN, and I can tell you right now, you can't stand up to them. He needs to start... He really should have fallen into being his coach role, since everything Takaoka has taught him, like, he, like Takaoka has taken him as far as he can. But, I, I guess I don't really mind even so much the fact that he signed on with GWM. Well, I mean, that does bother me a little bit, but you still could have done this story and not have taken it into this weirdly dark place because all you could have done, like, all they could have done was, it, it's that moment when he starts beating Hanma with the chair. I think that's the moment that got me was the fact that it's like, really, you have fallen this far out of nowhere that you needed to be hot... Like, that you need to go... That you feel that you need to fall in line with GWM's methods. I thought your whole thing was that you were trying to take them down from within. You know, that's what you're claiming. And you're... He's not doing anything differently than what we saw Takuma do. That's the other thing. Like, he's literally just become Takuma now. He's not providing any sort of different perspective on this matter. Like, you could still... Like, it would be interesting to maybe see him, like try and play by GWM's rules at first, but then he's like, you know what, I'm going to play by my own rules at times. Like, you know, just because I'm working with them doesn't mean I necessarily have to use all their methods. That would at least provide him, you know, that would be at least different from what Takuma did. But just, why? Like, why are you so obsessed with Tiger the Great III at this point, just hearing that he was the original Yellow Devil? You just, you haven't, you haven't earned that. Tiger Mask has not earned this. And honestly, I am really starting to dread watching Tiger Mask at this point. It's like, I always kind of go on and off with Tiger Mask. I know Matt does too. Uh, It can be campy fun. And that's really what they should have stuck with. Because I kind of feel like somebody on staff really wanted that. Like I feel like there are so many different people on staff who wanted different things from this. And somebody on staff really wanted to, like, have their... You know, they really wanted to tell this really dark and menacing story about, like, pro wrestling. And... And I kind of feel like they just didn't understand, like, what... Really what wrestling is like. It's not really... It it is kind of campy. And it is silly. And I feel like they're trying to tell this very serious, like, story about, like, falling into the dark side. But... Again, we already had that with Takuma. Ugh, sorry. Sorry. I think I think I need to end this now. Uh, well, if you've bothered listening to me ramble for the past 10 minutes, I do appreciate it. I know Matt does too. Uh, I will see you next week with more updates on Yamushi Pedal and Big Windup. Uh, so, uh Matt, if you would just please hit the credits. Yeah, sure thing, Matt. No problem. Uh I'm sorry. That that was stupid. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshian Cast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshyancastgmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.